HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from, I don't know, like, you know, like 12, 12.15 to like, you know, 12.45, like 1, you know, from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. Hi. And we got Dave in the booth. How you doing? Good. Things are getting off to a tense start. <laughs> and uh, it's because Nastasia's all mad at me. For, we'll talk about that in a minute. We also have <laughs> my bar partner and evil cocktail overlord, Don Lee. Secret. S- Secret overlord? Secret overlord. But official partner now. Official partner. We can talk about that now. Se- Secret Overlord. Yeah. Uh, so call in your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Nastasia said to me this morning, by, first of all, she's mad at me because we have colliding email. We have colliding, I have colliding meetings. Don and I need to go get some actual. Don't worry. I canceled the one I went. We're all good. I need, Don and I need to get some actual, like, you know, building crap work done in advance of us opening the new bar existing conditions. Because, uh, you know, we're members, actually Booker and Dax is a member of New Lab, which Nastasia, by the way, New Lab, a collaborative, I hate collaborations more than almost anything is collaborating with, with random people, but this is kind of a collaborative workspace, right, Don? The story checks out. Yeah. And so, like, in, like you know, Don and I are members of it for the, for the shops. Like, you know, they have a shop bot I can use, they, they have a larger laser cutter than Don owns, they have... 3D printers that I don't own. So, like, between all of this, you know, they have a spray painting booth, they have a vinyl cutter, all this kind of stuff that you would, a full wood shop, mm. you know, stuff that we would want to be able to access here in New York, but can't because New York's not a reasonable place to do anything. You know what I mean? New York City is the worst place to actually make or do anything. It is a freaking horror nightmare. And I've known this since I stupidly moved to New York City to become a sculpture guy. There's no worse job on earth than being an unsuccessful large metal sculptor in New York City. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, that's what I came to grad school to do here, but it's hard to move stuff around. Long story short, we're part of this uh, collaborative space, but other people I've asked about it have said, I didn't really join for the shops, I joined for the community. 
one. There's a lot of lonely people out there, you know. But who the hell wants community? People who don't have families. Really? Friends, Probably. families. Yeah. Do you? Do what you, you have against com- community? What yeah. I have? A, I don't like. I don't like. Like I think. I think. Like I like the people at New Lab. They're very nice. I like all the people at New Lab. This is not an indicative of New Lab per se. But I think all of these things are like they're faux communities. They're not real communities. You know what I mean? It's like. You know, I have enough trouble keeping in touch with my actual friends, family, and coworkers. Like, I'm gonna have that, a. That's an, a you problem. Yeah. People actually like to spend. That's a YP. That's yeah. a. That's a. That's a. That's an MP. No, that's no, a YP. You. Well, well, if I'm saying it. If you're saying it, it's an MP. Yeah. All right. So you're saying people. That's why people enjoy the social media. Well, it's uh, a, as people have gone more and more into like a distributed workplace where they're not near really. Working from an office with coworkers, they get lonely. They want to work with other people. They want to be around other folks, other like-minded people. So mm. it's the rise of co-working spaces like WeWork, and the New Lab is just another version of that, where it's a little bit more focused and it has all these shops as you know the the reason why we're there. Nastasia, can you imagine actually having to sit next next to like-minded people every day to you <laughs> and to me? Like, no. Would that be the worst It'd thing be ever? Worst. It'd be horrible. It'd be a yeah, we're already pushing the limits here. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, even Nastasia and I are like uh, oil and water isn't right. It's more like water and sodium. That's not true, because we are very similar. Uh, no. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was thinking more like water and naphtha burning on top of the water. Yeah, which one of us is the naphtha? Water and lye. We all know who the naphtha is. Oh. <laughs> anyway, we'll let you. We'll let the listeners choose for themselves who gets to be the naphtha in this in this scenario. But that, look, the the truth of the matter is is that Nastasia enjoys nothing more than getting me vir- virulently angry. There is like. It, it basically seems to me that she has chopped a good five or six years off of my life just for her own humor. Like, just, like, in order for her to, like, crack a smile, she will she will do anything to make my blood boil, say that something is broken. That was a long time ago. Yeah, like the last time you saw me. No, <laughs> I'm back at the FCI. Yeah, you, you still do that all the time. You'll say bad things. Have I see you do it to no, other people, no, too. No, no, no. And the great thing about Nastasia is she gets you to co-sign on doing this to other people. So yes. she also makes you into a worse person. That's the best thing I think about Nastasia. She has the ability... Like, to, when, you know, when they go low, she'll make you go lower. <laughs> she brings out the worst in all of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. She has, like, this, like, ability to, like, to, like sink you down to your base level. Like, if you want to know, like, what, like, your low level of operation is, she'll take you right there. Like, right there. She'll take you there. Yeah. Oh, my God. She'll take you there. Anyway, uh, we're going to have to pay some ass cap fees. Speaking of which... Don and I are, uh, you know, dealing with, and we. And Don has decided. I, for, first of all, I never realized what a pain in the butt it is to go full legit on the music you play. Are you guys legit, Nastasia, at the flyer no. of pasta? No. No. Should so, admit that on the air. No, listen. But just so you know, this is what's irritating me, right? So, as I'm sure any of you that have actually researched this know, you cannot. And Dave, you know, you know, as a musical dude. You know, as a as a sound engineer, as whatever you know, whatever whichever one of your hats you wish to wear here, mm-hmm. that we cannot simply just play music, even if you, quote unquote, own said music. You can't do it, right? Well, if you 
owned it, it would be no problem. Well, right. I mean, own your copy of it is what I'm saying. You own the copy that oh, you can see, play I for see. personal consumption. Personal yeah, right, consumption. Right, right. But yeah, I thought you meant like own the copyright it. to it. No, no. Yeah, difference there. No, but here's the, here's the nightmare, right? So the, the problem is is that you own these CDs, you bought them, or CDs, what the hell am I? You own the MP3 or, or whatever. CDs. You you own the vinyl. You have the, the you know, you well, you have the wax cylinders. You own the wax cylinders. No, <laughs> like whatever technology you're, you're using to like get your music. Like you own those does not give you the right to play them in public, except you can play radio. You can play anything that you own a copy of for your workers as long as, as long as like guests and customers can't hear it, right? That's one. You're allowed to do that. That's not public. Two, you're allowed to play radio and or television if your bar is under, I think, 3,500 square feet. And if you have fewer than, I forget what the number is, like five or six TVs, you're allowed to play broadcast TV and broadcast radio. Um, however... That, that's it. That's, those are the only things. If you own a jukebox, you can buy a single jukebox license from a company that does that for jukeboxes. If you want to play music, you are hosed. You need to, if you want to do it legitimately, you have to buy not one, not two, three separate licenses to cover almost, almost everything. You have to buy your ASCAP. You have to buy your BMI. And what's the other one, Dave? C, CAP? Whatever it's, what's it called? <laughs> I don't think it's CCAP. Uh, Something like that, though. It's a, the third one. Well, that's those the are, thing. Those are the two biggest, though, it's, BMI and ASCAP. But you have to get the third one because, like, like in any given song, like, there could be, like, part of the rights could be owned by BMI because, that you know, this songwriter is with BMI, this one's with ASCAP, this one's with the third yeah, one. It's that a starts big, with convoluted mess, all right. copyright law. So you have to, in, in the real life, you have to buy all three. But you can't buy all three from one person. Like, you can't, like, walk up to one guy and be like, Hey, Vinny, I want to get three licenses, you know, for the whole thing. He's like, hey, okay. And then he hey, bundles uh, it. take a walk around the corner and hey, my guy will see about you. Come back. I'll give it. We'll laminate it. Anyway, but you can't do that, right? And, and literally, like, if you're, if you're a big enough player or if for some reason you get under somebody's skin, someone like BMI will go. And let's say you have an ASCAP license. Someone from BMI will show up at your bar. They will, you know, soak up your booze and customer service on BMI's uh, nickel, and then they'll listen to all the songs, and they'll wait for you to play a song that is not, uh, you know, from BMI. It's, you know, that's it, not from ASCAP. It's BMI, and it's get this: seven hundred and fifty dollars plus lawyers' fees per song that wow. you play. That's good. Maximum, right? You like that, Nastasia? So, so anyway, so the fact of the matter is, you have to play all three. So I went on the website this morning. I went on ASCAP. And I'm like, how much is it going to cost me, ASCAP? I just went to ASCAP. I didn't bother with the other two yet. And they were like, well, you know, tell me a little bit about your something first before we, you know, how big are you? What's your name? Where are you? What's your address? You know what I mean? Like, they really want to know a bunch of information before they even give you the price. Because right? if you're in New York City, it's going to be like... That, well, right. I mean, look, a lot of it has to do with your square footage. They want to know how big your... They really don't care the square footage. They want to know how many seats you have how many nights a week you're going to play music. They want to know what kind of establishment you are. And they also want to, the big things are you going to have live music. Because here's the kicker. If you hire a musician to come in and play at your bar, unless they own all of the rights to everything they are playing, you have to pay a much higher licensing fee for that music. So for li In order for them to play covers, for example? Co covers or their own songs that they don't own all of the publishing right, to. Right, right. Right. So it's and that's a much higher fee. So if you're a no live music venue and 
you know, it, you're looking at somewhere on the order of between $500 and $1,500 per license per year in that range for non-live music, depending on the size of your establishment and how many hours a week you're open and how many people are going to go to it, right? So that's, let's say it's 15, 15, 15. That's three, that's $4,500 a year. There is still a possibility that you could get sued by somebody else, but pretty much you're totally covered at that point. Now, the other way you can get around this, this is for people who are actually going to try to go legit with their music. For some reason, I went down this rabbit hole. I was just going to Wild West it like they do at some other places. I will not mention who they are, but some other places where I used to have worked and or maybe been you know, involved with that play music in the Wild West style. The Wild West style. First of all, you should never stream music at your location illegally. Is satellite radio considered... There That's are two. Radio. Well, no, radio. But you're not allowed to play. You're if you're under a certain you're under a certain size, so you can play radio at Pasta Flyer. But it's satellite radio, like serious. No, no, no. You're not allowed to. Specifically, you're not allowed to play satellite radio. You can buy commercial satellite radio where you are allowed to, and it's not that much more. But it's just you can only play from those channels. Now here's the deal. So Spotify now, there's a bunch of these businesses. Spotify is one of them where they're like, hey, Spotify for business, oh. right? And so you can have, in quotes, access to the entire Spotify song list, right, at your business. But the dildilio on it is, and you can even, get this, Dave, you can upload your own playlist to it, right? As long as it's more than three hours. As long as it's more than three hours, because why, Don? Because they are, they're doing a music license under radio, like Pandora. So they shuffle the songs, and you don't get to pick the actual play order nor can you inject the song midstream. You have to just get the shuffle version. And that well, sucks. Well, that sounds stupid. Right, Dave, right? That sucks. And it's such a stupid workaround because they're letting you pick three hours of very specific songs, right? You know, you can, I could play, you know, like, if I, but if I want, if I want to go like Too Short, Mac Dre, like loonies and, and then I want to go down, you know, further south in California and then I want to scoot down to like, you know, Texas... You know, do some, do some, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. What, choose your Texas. Choose a Texas rapper. I don't know. Pick one. Paul Wall. I, I don't know why I chose that one. And then, like, go over to, like, Atlanta and then, like, go up. You know what I mean? You can't because you can't choose the freaking order. It's just going to rando shuffle it. But it lets you choose those songs, but it doesn't let you choose the order. This is so stupid. Right, Dave? Yep. Yeah, and we are, we tested this because Don and I. Now it's real you cheap. You don't have to. You don't have to convince me, Dave. It's real cheap. It's like twenty five dollars a month or twenty six dollars between between seventeen and thirty dollars a month, depending on how you sign up and when you sign up. La, 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 la. But like, so is this what you're running into with Booker and Dax right now? Is this what you're trying to say? Well, it's not the new Booker and Dax. It's existing conditions. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry. Sorry. Come on, man. Get with the freaking existing program. conditions. Come on. Yeah, this is what we're running into. And as for me, as for Don. Don doesn't care that much about shuffle or not shuffle. That's not the, as they say en Francais, the hill that he wants to die on. You know what I mean? But like... <laughs> Many hills I want to die on, not this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like... There's some nice ones around here. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, we'll get into that later. This neighborhood, Dave, is a trash pit. Right. I hate this place. Stay on target. You try to park in this place? You ever try to park here? No, I don't drive. Oh, I don't drive. They took your license, so now you don't drive. They no, I left Philly, license. so I wouldn't have to drive anymore. This is great. You left Philly. You don't have to drive in Philly, do you? You absolutely yeah. have to drive in Philly. There's like two subway lines, and they are, yeah, it, it's and useless. The parking there is also crazy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have to go too far on a tangent, but if you're driving, I'm like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but like, I try to reduce my internal stress level. I try. I try, right? 
So I don't want to get road raged out. Like I don't appreciate getting road raged out, right? It's like if you ever drive with taxi drivers, Nastasia, and like you could tell there's two kinds, those who will have an aneurysm and fall over dead. And I would rather they be my taxi driver. Well, no, but then there's the people who are just like, meh. I don't like that kind. I don't like that kind. I think that's the only, that's the only sustainable, see, you don't care whether it's their life is sustainable or not. That's the reason why. You know the type that stop at yellow lights? I'm like, keep going. What about the kind that, that always hits the accelerator and the brakes? So you're like. (laughs) That's terrible. Inside the taxi, that's what it sounds like too. Yeah, yeah, like those those guys are the worst. They're not getting sick because they know when their foot's about to hit the brake. You know what I hate is when I'm walking and there's a car about to cross through an intersection and it stops and it's trying to wave me through and I'm like trying to wave them through. Like, no, you're in the car. Just all you have to do is step on the gas and you're through in one second. Like, I'm gonna have to walk across this intersection. It's just much more efficient for you to go. Go right, right, right. Well, but okay, in, in, a, in a well, yes, sorry I think that's they, that, that's accurate. But Nastasia, I'm for my taxi driver having a sustainable or Uber driver having a sustainable life. So I would prefer if they could zen out a little bit. I'd just like to take this moment to uh, encourage anyone that's currently listening live to call in with your gripes on <laughs> it. Really grinds my gear. With Dave As a matter of fact, yeah, we yeah. do have a caller really on the line. You want to take right, right. I mean, here's the thing: if you if you are going to pull out in front of someone who is going the exact like vision zero speed limit that we have in New York, the exact speed limit, and you pull out directly in front of them such that they have to slam on the brakes, you are obliged to go the speed limit. You do not pull in front of somebody and then crawl looking for a freaking parking space. True or false? True. Okay, caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave, uh, this is Mark calling. How are you doing, everybody? All right, how you doing? Doing well, then. I'm just uh, stuck at a crossroads here. I do a lot of wood-fired oven cooking. Oh, not liter- uh, you're not literally at a crossroads right now? I, well, I'm standing in the middle of the road right now. That oh, okay. Does that grind your gear? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. No, I, I'm just I'm stuck with a recipe I've uh. been trying to work on. And uh, I spin a lot of pies and uh, sear a lot of meats in there. And it comes out really great. But when I get to frying chicken, I've been stuck because I tried to do it like an open, sort of like an air-fried chicken. But uh, obviously, it's it's burning up so fast. So I tried to do it in a Dutch oven. Right. And uh, what I'm getting is uh, like a pre pre cooked sous vide chicken, all dark meat. And uh, when you bite into it, it's just perfectly cooked, tastes great. But all the breading comes off in one bite. Gotcha. I'm trying here, to find a way. Here, okay. It, okay. This for freaking. This is like perfect because this is the argument that Kenji Lopez all has all the time, and he's just doing it wrong. First of all, air frying. Not frying. Well, let me, yeah, right. Here's the thing about frying. Here's the thing about, there's this group of people, they're evil, and I don't want you to speak to them anymore, who are worried with their frying foods that they're worried about the oil content. Just freaking deal with the oil content and make the sucker taste good. And if you're really worried about it, then eat your freaking poached, skinless, chicken breast garbage, right? Frying is God's cooking technique. Yeah, it's delicious. This is the way God was like, I've given you a medium that will not dilute the flavor of your product. I've given you a medium that instead of making something soggy, will make it crunchy. I have made this medium a liquid so that it can surround every nook and cranny of your food. And I've made this medium so that it can get to a high enough temperature to make everything crunchy. I have given you this. Why, if God gives you this, would you mess with it? You see what I'm saying? And, like, air frying is some miserable, miserable freaking attempt 
to take a breading, spray some puny amount of Pam or other oil garbage on the outside, and then use an impingement <laughs> oven to make it crunchy. This is <laughs> the only re- the only reason I approached it that way in the first place because I I didn't know about the safety aspect of putting four inches of oil in a Dutch oven with a lid next to an open flame. Right. Well, that's a good and question, and we'll and we talk about that one in a second because I don't know what the lid will do. What the lid? I mean, look. There is a group of people who believe that putting the lid on is going to drastically increase uh, the temperature and or the pressure. Not true. Uh, what is true, though, it, I mean, you could slightly – I've never done the study, so it's interesting. I don't know as – the way frying works is when the, when the product is immersed in the oil – and this is the problem with air frying, too, is that – when you're quote unquote, I won't even want to use it. When you're air destroying your food, what happens is <laughs> is that locally the oil plus bread coating can get up to a very high temperature, and in other places it 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 doesn't, and that's why you get scorched areas and blonde areas when you're using that kind of a technique, unless you have a very very fast impingement oven, which you don't because you're using like you know another one of another one of the great cooking techniques wood right so you're not going to be able to do that and so you're going to get scorched parts and you're going to get blonde parts now um oil obviously doesn't have that because as the water is boiling out of your product right it's one getting crispy it's two like modulating the temperature of the inside of the food to make it lower and three um it's convecting a bunch of stuff around such that your oil is pretty much within the area of the of the actual product going to be a relatively uniform temperature in a large fryer you know you have a a a big pit in the bottom of it called a cold zone and that cold zone is where all of your breading drops down to so that it doesn't scorch right so you're not actually you don't want an even temperature over the whole kettle but from the place of heat which is where the tubes in a tube fryer are up it's a fairly consistent temperature because of all the convection going on right so uh now so that's about the 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 frying now the safety with the lid the, the question is i again i don't know what effect because you are going to increase the relative humidity in there right by having the lid on but i can see why you would want to have the lid on from a safety perspective because of the sloshing and whatnot right um, yeah and i mean i doubt you're going to get enough radiant heat to actually flash fire the oil that quickly assuming the chicken is frying as soon as the chicken goes, uh, like if you were, let's say you were making tortilla chips instead of chickens, right? So the way you make a tortilla chip, if you want to do a good job, is, is that you put it into relatively high enough temperature oil to boil the water, but low enough temperature such that the outside's not going to go uh, overcooked before you get rid of all the water. Because when you're cooking tortilla chips, the name of the game is complete moisture removal, right? And so like if you overfire a tortilla chip, you'll find that the outside browns and the inside still isn't cooked yet, and this is a sad tortilla chip. So you tend not to go super high on your temperature when you're doing tortillas. And tortillas and potato chips are a few of the things that you can actually do a perfect fry from a cold start, right? Okay. And one where you can overload your oil. If you're not worried about, like, water damage in your oil, which you really shouldn't be over short terms, like, you can overload your oil on things like potato chips and, and tortilla chips because you actually want the temperature to drop down a bit, right? But once you get to the end of a tortilla chip and you see the bubbling starts to slow down, indicating that you've gotten rid of most of the water, right, I don't know then whether or not, because you're not going to have as much convective force and as much liquid coming off of it, whether at that point the radiant heat from your oven becomes a risk with the top of the oil, I don't know. I've never tested it, okay? But um, to your problem on adhesion, 
When you said you are getting low temperature cooked chicken, does that mean that you are cooking at low temperature? And this is back to my gripe with Kenji Lopez-Alt. Or are you low temping the chicken yourself? I, I take, you know, usually about eight pieces of leg and thigh at a time, 65C for about two hours. And uh, it's marinated overnight in buttermilk. And then I poach it and then I dry it. And then I've tried three different uh, bread batches with the spices I've used double zero flour, I've used all-purpose, I've used uh, buckwheat groats, I've tried to use brown rice, and it just, it all, they all come out slightly different and very nice looking and great tasting. Mm. It's just as soon as you bite into it, it all slips and falls right off. Maddening. For some reason, when you said buttermilk, I had the, the wham song go through my head. Buttermilk, instead of jitterbug, <laughs> buttermilk. Uh, but the, uh, so, wham, you know, George Michael, rest in peace, right? Anyway, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Freedom, freedom. Anyway, uh, that's a different. One. That's Aretha Franklin. Anyway, but what? the uh, no, going, dude. No, no I was going Michael. into the different. I was going into uh, into the song she sings in the Blues Brothers. Like when you said freedom, I was yeah. I heard George Michael, and then my mind jumped to Aretha Franklin singing uh, in the Blues Brothers, which is maybe the greatest rock and roll movie of all time. Uh, you don't like the Blues Brothers? I don't think it's the greatest rock and roll movie of What's all time. the greatest rock and roll movie of all time? Uh, I don't get back I'll to give you a minute while I talk about this Spinal chicken. Tap? So here's the thing. Spinal Tap? Spinal Tap is... <laughs> Spinal Tap... No, I mean, when I say rock and roll movie, I mean, like, the rock what, and roll... The don't count? The rock and roll in it. Like, the blues, the rock and roll, the okay. R&B in it. I mean, like... I mean, like, do you... Like, Stonehenge is an interesting song, right? As good as Ray Charles singing Shake Your Tail Feather? No. No, uh, no, 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 just it's not. You know, as good as John Lee Hooker doing ah ha ha. No, not, not, it's uh, not. As good as James Brown in the church. No, as good as Aretha Franklin, like you know, stepping from behind, cooking the four fried chickens and the toasted white bread. No, just not. Uh, you know, at, as Spinal Tap. Now we can make an argument over whether Spinal Tap is funnier than the Blues Brothers. This is not an argument that I'm willing to have because. <laughs> I feel like, you know, you wouldn't ask me to choose between Booker and Dax. Wouldn't I? Would not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so back to the chicken. Nastasia totally would. Nastasia would because she's a Sophie's Choice kind of a lady. <laughs> oh. So the, uh, she's, uh, yeah, Nastasia. I, I is know. Booker still gainfully employed? Yes. Booker, yeah, Nastasia is Booker's employer. And here's the problem. If you're going to employ somebody's son, you have to set some ground rules. Because if you've been friends with them for a long time... Yeah. Right, you don't want them to walk See, all over Booker's you. like, can I change my shift? Can I do that? I'm like, she's your freaking boss, Booker. You're not allowed to do that. Anyway, back to the chicken. Adhesion. <laughs> what? Adhesion. adhesion. Chicken adhesion. So first thing I will say on this is buttermilk. Please do an assessment. When you're going to do a long-term... Are you low-temping in the buttermilk or not? Yes. Okay. Here's what I will say. If you're going to do a very hard fry on it, it might not be... I'm just going to go point by point, and at the end, I will address your problem. Uh, the, the issue with acidic... I actually, when I do my chickens, especially when I'm going to low temp them, I do not use acidic uh, brines. I'll use salt, obviously, because salt adds some protection against overcooking. Um, and I will use sugar to balance the salt so it's not as sharp. I use milk, right? And I don't know why. I've never done the side by side. It's just ever since I was, you know, ever since I can remember, I've used milk in my silk. But the reason I don't use buttermilk. I'll use acid if I'm going to do tandoor, 
right? If I'm gonna pound thin and hit hard, or if I'm only gonna uh, if I'm only gonna soak it for a couple of hours and then cook it right away, I'll use uh, acidic. So when I say acidic, like I'll use yogurt, I'll use lemon juice. Uh, in a tandoor situation, and I'm pretty much a yogurt, lemon juice kind of a person, um, okay. in, or I can do a buttermilk. But I want you to just assess for yourself whether or not the texture of the meat gets too mushy, right? Because what the acid yeah. is going to do is break down the fibers of the chicken. It'll make it soft for sure, right? So if you were having problems with it being like kind of hard and dry, for sure buttermilk is going to make it softer. But just do a side-by-side and test to see whether or not you actually, if you're going to low temp it, right? If you're going to cook it traditionally, this is why buttermilk marinades are so good in traditional fried chicken. So like if you go to somebody's house and their breasts are perpetually dry, they're probably not brining it and they could probably use some buttermilk because they're overcooking the bejesus out of their uh, chicken breast anyway, right? But if you're going to do low temperature in a fast fry, consider doing like either, I mean, I've never done a water soak, so I can't say that, but consider doing a milk soak instead of a buttermilk and choose whichever one you like better. I'm not here to tell you what's better or worse. I'm here to tell you the, the thing. But the answer I've, to Dave, what I've actually, you, you mentioned on an earlier show that you, when you do low temp fried chicken, you do milk and sugar. So I tried both the buttermilk and the milk. But the results were the same with the breading falling off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just talking about flavor of the inside. Here's what here is here is my thing about the breading. Here's where I get to the the actual reason you called in, however long later the, the thing is. You must, you must remove the chicken from the bags or from whatever you're putting it in while they are hot. You must put them on racks, put them into a speed rack and let them dry. For let them flash off all of their moisture and let the outside get tacky before you bread them. After you right. bread them, they can then sit for as long as you want and can be re-refrigerated. When are, are, are you doing that step? The, the, the first step that you mentioned, I actually did 24 hours uncovered on a drying rack because I, I got so tired of it. I'm like, it may, it's got to be moisture. It has to be the problem. You pulled them hot? So I, I let them air dry in a refrigerator uncovered for a day. But I did not bread and let the, the breading sit overnight and become tacky. And that's what a spice rep mentioned to try. But I didn't know what your thoughts were on kind of letting it sit in the breading, you know, becomes moist and then actually, like, pasty. Yeah, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and, and are you, you're letting the, and the first part, you're letting them flash off when they're hot, right? Don't let the bags cool. No, no. As soon as they're done cooking, drain, pat dry with paper towels, in air dry overnight. But then uh, I haven't yet let that – I should, after that first day, then bread and let it become really tacky. I think that – I would like to try that, but I wanted your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, try that. And then also the regimen that I use is I'm um, – so I find it very difficult to properly spice uh, straight flour, right? It's very hard. So typically what I'll do is I'll spice I – I do pretty much a straight flour – for the dust, you know, if you are worried about it, you can add some of the higher tech starches to it. I never bother, uh, but you can crisp coat or whatever people, whatever the kids are using these days. And then I always spice the buttermilk egg mixture so that the and and I don't know whether or not my lack of adhesion problems have to do with my breading mixture or not. So I'll just tell you what it is. I go into straight flour, and then my buttermilk mixture is a uh, it's about um, I think it's one egg per, is it one egg per, cu- it's one egg per cup of buttermilk, right? 
And then I add uh, both soda. The reason I add soda is it neutralizes the acidity in the buttermilk. Uh, if you don't fully... So people... There are people on the internet who say things like, it only takes a half teaspoon of baking soda to completely neutralize two cups of... But don't listen to these people. <laughs> because the fact of the matter is, is not only do you need to neutralize the acidity, you actually need to push your mixture into the basic realm so that the sucker browns right. If you, if you have a buttermilk mixture and you do not use soda... Right. If you use only uh, powder and you only use you only use powder and not soda, it will never brown properly because it's too acidic. All right. So which is is it baking powder or baking soda? Because I, I wrote down baking powder from a previous uh, episode that the, you had. Los dos. You need you must use both. That's the both. key. So you use soda and you use powder. Right. And I got to be honest, I'd love to give you a measurement, but I do it by eye. The uh, right. but uh, food and wine. Uh, food and wine, like 15 years ago or 16 years ago, printed my recipe. So it's in there, and I bother, you know, look up Dave Arnold Fried Chicken Food and Wine, whatever. And, uh, but uh, then I, that's where I add salt and pepper and uh, spice. If you want to go spicy, I add it all to the buttermilk. So it's in the flour dredge, the straight flour dredge, then into the buttermilk, then back into the flour. That's the regimen that, the regimen that I use. So it's a double bread, and you and and you have no adhesion problems. So. I don't. No, no. Well, depends on what you consider double. I go flour, liquid, flour. Okay. And then you can let cool. it sit. Usually, I let it sit for you know whatever. I do it like you know way early in the day, and then I pull it out and fry it. And the advantage there is, you know, obviously the inside of the chicken's cooked, so all you have to worry about is the outside. I mean, that's the advantage of it. Anyone can, you know, if, if you're willing to sit there. And, you know, like uh, Sean Brock, you know, uh, and uh, when Josh Ozersky visited Sean Brock back when he was still alive, you know, uh, Sean Brock did that thing where he would cover the pot and lift the pot, cover the pot and lift the pot to get the moisture just right on the crust. This is why I'm saying I don't really know 100 percent what the what like exactly how the effect of covering it is, but it does change the moisture level in there and probably therefore slightly the temperature. I've never done it. Like whether the evaporative cooling off the surface changes, like do you actually get that 10, 15 degrees difference by covering, uncovering? Who knows? Not me. So the, um, so, you know, if you want to sit there and adjust it, I used to back before I did low temp, the way I would have to do it is I would fire up my fryer and I would do all the chicken first. I would start the breasts first at the lowest temperature, cook them all through, because I was buying whole chickens, and so I had to cook the breast whether I wanted to or not. And then I would uh, go to the thighs and the leg balls, because I only cook leg balls. I don't cook legs with bones in them because my family doesn't enjoy that. And then um, after that, then I would go to fries and rings, you know, jacket. But, you know, now I can just go in any order I want, you know, any, all around the town. But listen, yeah. if you're actually having problems, like, with the suggestions, getting your adhesion... Call back, and then I'll have a mental argument with, or a verbal argument with myself, and we'll try to figure it out. Because this is the gripe that people like Kenji Lopez-Alt have about it. It's just I've never had a problem. And I cook a lot of, I cook a lot of fried chicken. I would think that if, like, you know, they started coming off, like, the hoods of trunks, you know, the, like, 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 if it was, like, you know, cars shedding their skin, like, I would be like, dang, I got to change that. It just hasn't been a problem. I mean, I'm a fairly observant guy. You know what I'm saying? What would you yeah, say about uh, that's using? That's why I asked you. What, what would you say about using a Dutch oven with like a like not as much oil, so it's more like a pan fry. So you uh, halfway through you have to flip it. 
What's the advantage of that? Just less oil? Because less oil, then you don't have to worry about. Yeah, but spilling. he's doing it commercially though. He's so doing like, it in a wood fire oven. Yeah, but are you doing it? You're doing it commercially, or you're doing it at home? Well, I'm I'm preparing to open a, a nano brewery here in Pittsburgh, Ooh, and I have what's uh, nano? I have a wood oven in my backyard. What's nano? What defines nano versus micro? Is it a batch size? Is it is it a brew size? It's an order of magnitude. It's it's like a three three barrel system with probably eight taps. But like, but in other words, are you brewing like what size vessel are you fermenting? Are you fermenting like in a Sankey keg size fermenter? It's just it's just a, a standard three barrels. It's a microbrewery. It's right. just a, a probably a poor buzzword. Right. No, I like I like anything nano except for like well, nano. I mean, it's a good word nano, nano. Anyway. <laughs> um, I mean, the advantages at home of using less oil are that you use less oil. It, the disadvantage is, uh, in commercially is it's going to go bad faster, right? So well, Commercially, just get a deep fryer. No, but he, if he wants to do it in the wood oven as part of if the shtick is all the stuff's cooked in the you wood know, oven, including yeah, my fried chicken. Coming, everything's coming out of that oven. And, and I did try, like, just a regular cast iron skillet and to, to do the pan fry, but what, what seemed to happen is the unexposed parts of the chicken hap- we got the uh, you know the leoparding you know the yeah. charring of the yeah. certain spots yeah. of the flour that weren't submerged yeah 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 because you've got radiant heat see the reason that works in a in a stovetop scenario is because you don't have radiant heat hitting Radi- from above right here's right. another and thing it's, I-, I mean it's 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 kicking up the the uh, the dome of the oven's probably sitting around 1200 degrees right and, and uh, yeah the, okay. floor, the floor is uh Probably around eight, eight, nine hundred. So, so for safety, right? Another reason for the lid here. Now that you're telling me your temperatures is it, it, the the problem is is if you've ever like hung out above a fryer for a long time, which I highly recommend, yeah. right? Oh, as one does. You get covered with a, a oil mist, right? Because <laughs> like oil gets volatilized, and that's actually going to be the danger if you locally overheat and you get the stuff into like if you were going thin, like if you're going in a skillet. I think you get a much higher danger of making an oil burst cloud, you know, above the above the pan. You know what I mean? Than if you're doing it your way. So I think covering is definitely the way to go in this in this scenario. Also, from a long term safety perspective, uh, make sure you uh, clean out and maintain your hoods um, between the the carbon that's going up there and the oil mist that's going to go up there, you're going to have a fire. He's outside. Yeah, still the same thing. You don't want to No, no, the oven's inside. Oh, the oven's inside. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm outside, but the oven will be inside and vented directly on it through can an you, outside wall. Can you're, you move the oven to the center of the crossroad? <laughs> that's what originally I thought he needed help jacking his oven out of the crossroad because cars were honking for like miles behind him. Here's another thing uh, I'll say. Right, like, we gotta take a break in a minute. Use my words wise. All right, here's another thing. Uh, I mean, obviously you know this. You're doing this. I think like uh, you know, if, it, get you know, you, you need your chimney cleaned out or your flue or whatever cleaned out on a, re- a regular basis. But I think you know a lot of people because you burn an ungodly amount of wood when you're actually using wood to to cook. And I yeah. think there's a lot of temptation to um, use under seasoned wood because you know you haven't planned in advance or the wood's not seasoned enough. And you're obviously going to get a lot. A, I don't know if you know this, but if if uh, if you look up the number of BTUs of heat you get per uh, cord of wood, if the wood is not properly seasoned, if you use actual green, which no one does, but actual green wood, like half of the BTUs are used in heating and uh, um, 
and uh, vaporizing the water that's in the wood on the order of half. I mean, it depends. Like very high BTUs, oh. like very high BTU wood, like hickory, like probably not a full half because there's probably the same amount of water in hickory as there is in a, in a crappy wood like birch, which has a much lower BTU per pound than hickory does. But the green wood, it, you get a much lower uh, use out of it because you're, you're spending all of that energy heating water in the wood. Secondly, you're really gunking up your flu with, with that stuff. And so you want to make sure that you have, uh, you know, it's worth a little bit more to get wood that's seasoned properly and not from some joker who drops you off stuff that they just chopped this season. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. I'm sure you already knew that, but I was just saying that for other people. Um, no, no. Yeah. Good, good information. All right, David. All right. But anyway, let us know how your adhesion problem works, my friend. Hey, thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, taking a break. Coming right back with more cooking issues. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long-chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. All right, listen, listen, Dave. With the wild Alaska seafood, first of all, eating food the way nature... This, that, by the way, if you somehow skip... Dave, I don't have time to edit all this out later, <laughs> so let's, you, just, let's just skip it. No, it's important. So wild Alaska seafood, so like the, like the way that... Dave, the, Dave, what? Dave, I don't have time to edit all this out later, oh so just skip God. it. Oh, man. I'm not going to say anything negative about the seafood. First of all, Don wants me to cook him the live Alaskan king crab. I've never had one live. I've been promised by Dave that it is delicious. I used to get them from True World Foods. I don't know whether they still get them, but they used to get the Alaskan live king crab. All right, we got five minutes. Good. Five minutes? What? I'm talking about king crab. Look at crab. the time. I'm talking about king crab. All right, get to it. Jeez. What about king? Why do you want to taste Dave's king crab? It's delicious. It's just I've never had one live. Didn't you have one, Nastasia? Or did we cook that before you showed up? Remember we used to... We got... Remember... Mm-hmm. We got the entire but like live. What do you mean live? They come it like is alive. alive. Oh. It is moving. Oh. It's styro, as they're opposed f- to dead. Yeah. yeah, they're fantastically expensive, but they are a boat ton better. We used to get them. Nils and I used to get the live king crab, and then we would do the anesthesia on them with the clove oil. Then we would do. Oh, I've been there for that. Yeah, then we did the kill, and then we would make the soup out of the bodies and serve it in the giant soup, and then we'd have all the legs. It is it is pretty uh, fantabulous. But here's the thing. Why does no one push the most important Alaskan product, which is Alaskan cabbage? First of all, what's his name, Nastasi? Steve Hubachek, right? Steve Hubachek? Yes. yes. I wonder if he's still alive. There's a dentist. There's a dentist in Alaska named Steve Hubachek. And as of like five or six years ago, no, I don't know. Ten years ago. Ten years ago, <laughs> Nastasia found out who Steve Hubachek was. Steve Hubachek grows the world's largest cabbage. Now, Don. Have I talked to you about this before? No, this is the okay. first time hearing about it. How this. big would you think the world's largest cabbage is? Mm, smaller than a quarter wood. 
Well, yeah, a quart of wood is freaking big. Yeah, they're they are like on the order of hundred and fifty pounds, right? Uh, f- yeah, Steve Hubich. Find out what the largest cabbage that Steve Hubichek's ever made. Maybe it's only hundred pounds, but they are, as they say on français, freaking big, right? Like uh-huh. so much, he he ha ha. So much so that Nastasia and I, we were like, "Yo, Steve," because here's what it is: one hundred and twenty-five point nine pounds. That's a big Steve cabbage. So we called Steve one day, and we say, "Hey, Steve," because like everyone goes to the, the the state fair in Alaska with their giant cab cab cabbages, right? And they you know have a contest, and Steve always wins. So we called him and be like, "Hey, Steve." I don't want to know the secret of your giant cabbage because, frankly, I'm never going to grow a giant cabbage. It's just not what we're going to do. What I want to do is buy one of your giant cabbages. Like, maybe, like, the second biggest cabbage you have this year, I would like to buy that because you're not going to take it to the state fair. And it seemed like he was going to do it. Like, we were going to get a truck. We were going to... We were, we were pitching it to television programs, right, Nastasia? Like, for, like, late night and whatnot. The idea is is to... Because I said to him, I was like, so, is the cabbage being that big? Does it make it taste awful? Does it taste like garbage? He's like, nope, tastes fine. That's right? Isn't that what he said? Yeah. Like, nope, tastes fine. Dentist, this guy. And, and uh, we were going to truck it, and then he just stopped returning our telephone calls. But it's look like, what he did with this last one. He wheeled it up to some bears. And the bears ate it? The bears ate it. I like that. So here's what I want to... Oh. Here's what I want to do. <laughs> I want to buy a brand new... By the way, chainsaws require oil to oil the bar, to lubricate the bar. This is a well-known fact, right? Now, those of you that don't care about the world, you can get, like, petroleum-based bar oil. I happen to use vegetable-based bar oil with stuff in it that, like, stops it from breaking down and has, like, biodegradable tackifier agents to keep it on the bar. But... If you're not going to do it long term, you could probably just use grapeseed oil, right? You get a brand new electric chainsaw with a long bar. You're going to need a long bar for this one, right? And Nastasia added this next part, right? We get a, First, we take the cabbage, right? And we take the chainsaw, and we hack it into coleslaw with the chainsaw. And then you switch over after you've done all your food work. You switch over, and then you carve a bowl out of a giant-ass Douglas fir stump. And then you eat the, the like this like chainsaw like Alaskan chainsaw coleslaw out of the giant tree stump. You in? I won't say no, but I feel like it's a waste to just chop it down to coleslaw. You got Why? this giant cabbage. What are you doing? Like what? Like can't what? you make the world's largest like cabbage leaf wrap or something? Like well, there's Ooh, enough. Or, we could take some leaves pig, off the outside. Those, um, a whole pig cabbage rice. wrap. No, yeah. the, or the rice and meat. With oh my God, Nastasi wants to make a stuffed cabbage yeah. with ground meat where you grind like whole animals and stick it inside of a single cabbage leaf. Really That's a lot of tomato sauce. De- deboned, I hope. Deboned. It's a lot of tomato sauce. Anyway, if anyone out there is from Alaska and knows Steve Hubachek, please, I'll start pestering Steve again. This is in the fall. The reason Alaskan cabbage grows this way, people, is that cabbage size is dependent mainly on number of hours of daylight. Right, mm. and so they plant it in this like what would be fertile but not exhausted because the growing season is typically so short. But because they have those long, long, long hours of daylight, starting now, uh, they get these giant freaking cabbages, and I want one real bad. Maybe Don, maybe we could fly there. Maybe the three of us could go fly, get one. I go- think you, should, you think you could put it on an Amtrak. That's cheaper. But Amtrak, what are you going to tell them that you're a student and that you got to transport it to your dorm? No, you Isn't can that do the cheap way? Anything on an Amtrak. Anything on an Amtrak. Even you're like dead. 
relative's body. Wait, what? Yeah. Well, why'd you go to dead relatives? Wow. <laughs> specific she wouldn't have said that if she hadn't done it. Because Nastasia, she had to once move a dead body. No. Nastasia has not yet realized that the government looks at your search history after you've committed a crime. No. <laughs> <laughs> These days before. Yeah. They're yeah. watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, we got to wrap it up. All right. Anyway, uh, so I don't know. I, we were supposed to get to some questions that theoretically I've missed. This is a clean not slate. Theoretically, you absolutely missed them. This is a clean slate, people. I don't know what questions I've missed. So if I have not answered your question, email them to me. Email them to Nastasia because they have been officially been missed. I have missed them. Email them again. Cooking issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 